Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Joel Gator. He's a board-certified pediatrician. He also has a podcast called Raising Amazing, and it talks all about like health for children. Actually, I'm going to have him introduce it because he's the expert in all of these things, but he is a phenomenal, kind of like a holistic, would you say you're a holistic pediatrician, Dr. Gator? Yeah, definitely. I did all the regular training. I trained at a great allopathic Western medicine program mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, but I just got a little bit frustrated with the regular system and yeah. the super short visits and medication for everything. And so that's what led me down my journey to start learning about natural medicine. I'm not against Western medicine at all. No, I just think yeah. that there's time and a place and we should be balancing both worlds and bringing them together. 100%. I think you're going to be the perfect gem for our listeners today because so many moms they are stuck in that place where they're like, I really want to trust my doctor, but I'm also learning about all these different holistic and integrative therapies that I want to work with my kids. And it's like, it's one or the other. And you're like the perfect, you can bring it all in the middle and give some really good suggestions, I think. So I'm excited for this. Yeah, me too. I think it'll be fun. (laughs) Yeah. So what we wanted to discuss today with you, Dr. Gator, is basically mental development in children, because we're seeing this increase in a lot of things, but like OCD, ADHD, ADD, sensory disorders. And our question is, how much of this is just kids being normal? And how much of this is no? there's an underlying problem. And what is that problem? It's a really good question. I don't think we 100% know the answer. What we know for sure is that the rates are skyrocketing, right? Yes. We know, and we can see based on the statistics that the numbers, all of these things, you know, mental health in general, whether you talk about ADHD, autism, behavioral disorders, it just continues to rise and mm-hmm. have really good statistics on say like autism, right? And, and mm-hmm. those rates have, were like one in a hundred, then one in 50, then one in 40. And, and the numbers just keep going up. And certainly, you know, we're a little better at diagnosing something. So that might be a little part of it, but it's really not the reality. I don't really even remember a lot of these things when I was growing up. I don't really remember ADHD being a thing or autism being a thing. Certainly some kids had it, right? But Mm -hmm. it's way more prevalent today. And it seems like almost every child has some sort of diagnosis. And we see that not just in mental health, but if you take all of chronic disease, all diseases that, you know, affect you over the long term, that's about 50% of children, right? right? That's insane. Um, Now, why that's happening is certainly debatable, right? I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons and I have my own personal opinions on that, but we don't really know for sure. But what we can deduce is that it's something that we're doing. It's our environment. It's not genetic, Mm. right? I mean, maybe a little part of it is, but we haven't changed genetically that much in the last 100, 200 years. Can you you spill a little bit of your personal opinions? You're like, I've got some of my own personal opinions. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's toxins, right? I think that's the big thing. The mixture of poor food that's not nutritious, that's devoid of appropriate nutrients and and eating crappy foods that have preservatives and chemicals and that aren't organic and that are sprayed in pesticides and all of that. And then mixed with all of the toxins that we're surrounded by, whether that's the food that we eat on our clothes, on all the products that we use in the air, in the water, everything. I mean, we're just bathed in chemicals. And for everybody at some point that just throws them over the edge and and they get sick. 
Mm -hmm. It's interesting because you're saying how this is skyrocketing and it makes me think of the increase in food intolerances since the 90s. It has tripled in children. I mean, how many of us remember kids in our class having EpiPens? There might have been that one kid in the entire grade. And now there's like half the class have food intolerances and EpiPens. And there's definitely a connection there. What I wanted to add is we did this amazing podcast interview with Karan Krishnan, and he is the chief scientist at microbiome labs. And uh, he was saying that when it comes to neurodevelopment in babies, the more vast mom's microbiome, the better chance their baby's brain is going to develop because there's certain microbes that help with that neurological development and growth. I really appreciate you bringing in like chemicals and toxins. But another thing I think that we're seeing, and I would love for you to dive deep into this, is our microbial balance. Like we're taking more and more antibiotics and we're destroying our microbiome biome and research is now showing, oh shoot, we actually need that microbiome for helping our babies develop when in utero, you know, like it's huge. Our microbiome balance or diversity has been cut in half in the past 50 years. And he was kind of explaining it. That would be like passing because our children get our microbiome. If we have 50% less diversity, we're passing that on to our children. That's like having half of a liver and like having our kids inherit half a liver. And it's not supposed to be that way. There's so much dysfunction from the environment to our gut flora and even from toxins like glyphosate destroying our gut flora. It's not a pretty picture that we're painting right now. No, it's not. And we're seeing the results. But I mean, you have to go back even further than the microbiome to start. You have to think Mm -hmm. about pregnancy and parents and the mom's microbiome and everything that's affecting the sperm and and just everything, right? It it starts before your child is born in you. And then what your child is in utero, then there have been studies done. The environmental working group did a great one where they were looking at the toxins in cord blood and they found hundreds of Mm -hmm. toxins in cord blood. You know, we don't know exactly how all those affect the baby and how much of it actually gets in and what it does to you. But Obviously, it's not good, right? You don't want toxins going to your baby. And it obviously has some effect. And, you know, we're amazing beings and we have great systems to detoxify and get things out. So everybody can handle a little bit, Mm -hmm. but we have all of these new chemicals and they all interact with each other. And we have no idea what any of them do or or we know very few of them. I mean, look at when we went in a deep dive with glyphosate, how much we found the levels of cancer and the things that it's causing. Mm -hmm. And that's just one chemical that took 10, 20 years of extreme fighting and court cases and everything just to bring out the details. And there's so many more chemicals that do that. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We don't even have any idea because most of these chemicals have never been studied. And that's a huge systemic problem. It's kind of outside of the scope of this talk. But, you know, reality is, especially in America, right, most products or most chemicals have really never been tested for safety or very minimally been tested. You don't have to prove that it's safe. You have to prove after that it, it causes a problem, right? Yeah. And that's a huge difference mm. here. And it's, it's, it's a disaster. Right? I mean, you can put out whatever and you can say whatever you want. And until a whole bunch of people get banned together and sue you for 10, 15 years, do yes. you ever even come out with the real research? That's a problem. How are yeah. we supposed to be healthy when companies don't need to prove that something's safe. And why would they? They want to make money. That's what they're, they're supposed to do. A hundred percent. That's the first part. Then getting back to your question, in terms of the microbiome, you go down the next steps and then what happens now at birth? There's a lot of C-sections, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the first time when you're exposed to a lot of the pathogens in the vaginal tract, which we're supposed to be exposed to, right? It doesn't mean right. that you can't have a C-section and you can't be healthy, but that isn't something that we developed with. That's a new concept. And so our genetics haven't changed 
in the last 100, 200 years with these C-sections. It's right. just our bodies have to develop, a baby has to develop without getting bathing of bacteria, which we were always meant to right. do. And we don't exactly understand all the implications yet, but the research does show certainly that there are increased rates of asthma and increased rates of behavioral issues and increased rates of allergies and all of these things mm-hmm. that we see later. But again, it's hard to do this kind of research and it takes a long time mm-hmm. to do it. And we're really just at the very beginning of even having the concept that we should be looking into these things and there could potentially be long-term complications. Right. So it's really you know very basic data and research, but none of it is good. Do you think that you have good outcomes without integrating like things like nutrition and food and what kind of challenges are you seeing there? It depends on what the problem is, right? I mean, you definitely can. I never speak poorly of Western medicine, right? Because there are amazing things that we have done over Mm -hmm. the last decades and centuries that are magical, right? We have cures for cancer that we did not have before. So, you know, a child who has a cancer that can take a medication that can keep them alive wonderful. You get a bad pneumonia. You might've died 200 years ago. Now yeah. you're, you're totally fine two days later. I mean, that's magical. So there is a place for modern Western medicine and we need it, but most of modern Western medicine is really good at treating things mm-hmm. quickly. So you get mm-hmm. sick, you give a medication, you get better, but that has very little to do with long-term diseases, right. which is what we're seeing now. And a medication can certainly be helpful. And we're talking about behavioral issues. So let's say for ADHD, a medication can be super helpful and for certain children can be needed, but there's no reason why we should have five, 10% of kids in the country diagnosed with ADHD. There's no reason why we should have hundreds of thousands and millions of children on medications every single day. It's easier to give a medication, Mm -hmm. much easier than to do a deep dive into a child's history look into everything, think about their diet, think about all the things that they're doing and then make small changes to put them in a different direction. That's really what we need to be doing, but it's not really practical in the modern system because you have maybe two, three minutes with your doctor, maybe five, 10 minutes if you're Mm -hmm. lucky. So how can you spend an hour on their nutrition and diet and toxins when you're in there for five minutes? It's just not possible in this paradigm. So it means that either we need to change the way that we're doing medicine or Mm -hmm. parents themselves need to seek out alternative practitioners or someone who can spend that time with them to do it or do it themselves. Right. Right. Or you have to seek out, you know, the information and start to make changes yourself, but Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen in the Western paradigm. And that's not the doctor's fault. Doesn't mean they're not doing a good job. It's just really part of our training. Yeah. You know, we never really learned a lot about that and we certainly don't have the time in Mm -hmm. general. If you're a regular doctor at a big practice where you're seeing 10 patients an hour, Mm -hmm. you can't spend 45 minutes with each patient talking about their diet and make $50, you would close. You can't do it. It just doesn't work. So you either have to change the way your practice is. And I have a different kind of practice where we spend more time with people, but that's my choice. It's a very different setup, but most people don't have a doctor that practices integrative medicine or or the doctors just don't know about it. So I want to kind of rewind and then come back to where we are. What listeners are getting out of this is it's our environment, it's our nutrition, it's our microbiome. We haven't really touched on stress. Would you say stress is a factor for behavioral issues? For me personally, when I see adults, stress is a huge thing. I want to say environments like TV games and screen time and social media, would that be a part of a contributing factor towards OCD, ADHD, ADD? Or would you say, no, it's more microbiome, diet, and toxins? What are your thoughts? 
No, a hundred percent. It's part of it. And it's, again, it goes back to, there are so many things that are involved. Yeah. It's not one thing. We want to blame one thing. We want to right, be like, Oh, right. we did this. One problem, this. one oh. solution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's multifactorial. And yeah. I call it the seeds of health. So stress, environment, toxins, exercise, diet, and sleep. Those are, you know, for me, oh, I love that. there are more, but that's kind of my go-to. I mean, I include stress right in there in terms mm-hmm. of those things. So for sure, but look at what's happened the last couple of years. Right. Yes. I mean, that is your very easy, clear example of how stress influences mental health. I mean, the yeah. hospitalization or going to the hospital increased 30 percent the last few years. Right. Suicides are up. Mental health issues are through the roof. Medications are for mental health are through the roof. So, of course, stress influences all of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes back to even in pregnancy, stressed out parents. We know they have higher stress levels in pregnancy. Their kids have. more chance to have a chronic disease, more chance to have ADHD, more chance to have autism. Mm -hmm. This has been proven time and time again. And why would it not? You're not meant to be stressed out all of the time. Our bodies are not programmed to do that. We were programmed to have this stress response to get us out of immediate danger, but we weren't programmed to be stressed out all day, every day. And that changes your body. It changes your hormones. It changes everything inside of your blood flow while you're Mm -hmm. stressed out and nervous. And so you're always gaining one thing and losing something else. And so if you're stressed out, then you're not getting the blood flow to your intestines and your stomachs. You're not digesting as appropriately as you should be. And, you know, that to me is probably one of the big reasons why we have so many gut issues. I mean, Mm -hmm. also the crappy food, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, we're not in the state that we're meant to be in. Everybody's stressed out all the time. And over the last couple of years, look what's happened with everybody being stressed out all the time. How would it not happen? Right. You know, diabetes rates are doubled. Have they doubled in the, in the past couple of years? What? Doubled in the last like two, three years. Wow. I didn't know that. It's insane. There are several studies that came out and it was like maybe half a year ago now. And they published over the pandemic that based on their research, it's not research from everywhere, but it's mm-hmm. research in certain hospital systems, but their diagnosis rates doubled and you know, whatever, even if it's 25%, but let's just go with what they had found. Mm-hmm. That's insane. But how would that not happen when you're eating yeah. crappy food and you're ordering in every day and you're not yeah. going outside and exercising and you're stressed at all the time? Yeah. How would you not get diabetes? Yeah. Like our, our body wasn't designed to live this standard American lifestyle with this added stress. And it's not just happening mm-hmm. to adults. It's happening to our children as well. Let's say I'm a mom with a kid. Actually, first, before I go into that question, OCD, ADHD, ADD, sensory disorders, would you say that they are all very similar in that they can be improved with some kind of holistic regimen that you put together with medication and lifestyle changes? Or would you say, let's say like sensory disorders or OCD are different from ADHD and ADD? What are their commonalities and what, how are they different? Really good question. Of course, every child is different and every diagnosis is different. So there's no one thing that works for everybody. Right. Right? That's absolutely absurd. If you take, you know, you're like, oh, this smoothie is going to work for everyone. It's going to cure you. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Right. That's mm-hmm. not how we work. And, and everyone's different. And, you know, sometimes it can be that you have a very significant genetic disorder. And so you could do everything and it's not going to make a huge difference. Yeah. But by and large, there's one commonality across these, which is inflammation. Yes. Right? Inflammation in our body. Yes from whatever reason, is going to be one of the main causes or contributors to Mm -hmm. all of these. And they're all, what you mentioned, they're all brain chemistry type issues, right? And so if you have inflammation in the body, your brain is part of your body. And so it's going to be affected by that information that we have then, okay, but if we can decrease the inflammation in your body, if we can decrease the contributing factors, then we can see improvements. Now, can you 
take out gluten and dairy from someone's diet and see their ADHD go away? Probably not, right? It's not going to work for hundred percent, but a lot of these items, if you can figure out for your child, what their triggers are yeah. and what are some of their contributing factors, then you can improve 1% here and 1% here and 1% yeah. here. And at some point you get to that place where their bodies are more back in balance yeah. and then their bodies can rebalance themselves. You don't have to figure out everything and you don't have to do everything. Yeah. You just have to keep investigating and seeing what could be their triggers. Cause it's going to be different for everybody. You know, you yeah. could be sensitive to gluten and the next person could be sensitive to cucumbers, mm-hmm. right? And it's not the same. You might have cat allergy and the mm-hmm. next person might have mold in their house. You know, everyone's different in terms of what those triggers may yeah. be. The commonality there is to work, to figure out what is contributing to that inflammation and to try to mm-hmm. remove it or decrease it. And those big, it you know, big tough categories, to out. it is tough to figure out. There's no easy way. And sometimes it takes years, but you can go based on common things being common. And then yeah. you kind of work your way back. So, you know, food sensitivities is obviously very common. So one, you know, for everybody, they can get rid of the sugar, yes. right? They can decrease the chemicals. It doesn't mean you can never have a piece of cake again in your life, but if you're making food. Yeah. You got to be cooking the food at home, yeah. getting organic produce, trying to eat organic when you can and not genetically modified food do you, trying do, do to you see de- with the food sensitivities that you mentioned do you see a place for testing food sensitivities or is it just eliminating the big ones how would you suggest parents going about that everyone does that a little bit differently it's, it's hard with kids I mean I'm pretty sensitive for kids when it comes to doing testing because I don't love to do a lot of blood work in kids we do it sometimes yeah but you have to go in to any testing with the reality of what kind of information are you going to get out of this? And then what are you going to do with it? Right. And for me, I'm getting blood work is not minimal for a lot of kids. And so in the information that you get from food sensitivity testing is not the best and really very little of it's ever been studied in kids. So you're kind of using adult ranges and that kind of thing. So it can theoretically be helpful. And sometimes we do it, but usually it's a later thing that we would do. It's much easier just to eliminate things in general for kids and just try to figure out, okay, my kid eats a lot of this and this is pretty common to be a sensitivity. So let me take it out for a month Mm, and then let me put it back in and see if we have a difference. That's a lot easier and generally works better for most families than than going to get testing. I mean, there's financial issues for people. You know, it can be expensive to do it. And then, you know, even if you do food sensitivity testing, well, you test for apples, but then there's like 10,000 kind of apples and how perfect is the information that you get? And just because something comes up high on one of those right. tests, does it really mean that they have a sensitivity or they just eat it recently? And it's, it's not very clear. It's not perfect. It can be helpful. So it can point you in certain directions. I definitely use it sometimes, but yeah, rarely it. Um, because I think that you get better information from just removing things in general. Mm-hmm. You mentioned sugar and sugar is a huge inflammation driver, as we know, but I don't think people actually recognize how much sugar we ingest. So I want to throw out some numbers if that's okay. So for adults, mm-hmm. adult women and men, we're supposed to have between 24 to 26 grams of sugar in our diet, but the standard American has between 90 and 140 grams of sugar per day on average. So that's like quadrupled, right? So that's for adults. Children's added sugar is obviously a lot less. I don't know the exact number. It's probably closer to like 18 grams, but I mean, you just give them like a healthy protein bar and you're ready there. 18 grams. You give them 
one pancake and they've doubled that. Mm-hmm. And so or like the, a yogurt, a yogurt. <laughs> like oh yogurt. my, a yogurt has <laughs> as much sugar in it as some ice creams, you know? And so you give them mm-hmm. a yogurt for breakfast and some granola. And like a lot of that granola has honey in it. Like, even if we we're talking about like the healthy sugars, which is like maple and honey, like it's still sugar. Right. Like I know when I have too much honey and maple, like my joints flare up when I eat too much fruit, my joints flare up. Right. And so I know I'm like, oh, I've reached my max. Right. I get headaches when I eat. too. Like if I hit around like the 40 gram sugar mark, I can tell headaches start to come on. And my son's similar to me as well. And so I just want people to have this very realistic vision that we are drowning in sugar. Our children are eating like quadruple the amount of sugar that they're supposed to. So that's a real, I mean, I don't know what your opinion is, but like you said, cut out the gluten, cut out the dairy, control that sugar. Look at all of the labels and just like as an experiment, you guys count the grams of sugar you're eating per day. Count the grams of sugar your child is eating per day. I was just talking about this with my nanny this morning. Like when my son goes over to grandma's house, he's drinking three cups of orange juice. And I'm like, each cup has about 20 grams of sugar. And I'm like losing my mind. I'm like, what? That's 60 grams, you know, like, so. So just be really mindful, everyone, that, you know, those are really good places to start. And that sugar is there's there's no cap on sugar. Sugar is literally a in abundance. It's a toxic substance. When we look at the definition of what a poison is, it's something that breaks down the body and eventually leads to death. That's what sugar is in mass. When we're consuming it so much, it tears down our bodies. We get metabolic syndrome. We get diabetes. And if uncontrolled, like we will die from that, you know, we'll start losing fingers and arms and legs or whatever. And then it will eventually kill us. We'll get heart disease and die. Sugar is poisonous. I'm sorry. Sugar is like the bane of my existence. Like I always get on my soapbox and I always talk about sugar and how we need to be mindful of it. Should be on your soapbox. It's so important. And for whatever reason, wasn't the target that was gone after for many years. It was like fat. It was fat. Fat and art marketing. And, and, you know, there's a whole story Mm -hmm. behind that in terms of the marketing and producers and all that stuff and and where they went with marketing and and saying that fat is bad for you. And Mm -hmm. it's really not bad for you. Certain kinds of fats are bad for you, but eating certain foods that are pasture raised. And if you are open to eating meat, then there are better meats out there. You can definitely be a lot healthier Mm -hmm. eating some meat than if you're eating sugar all the time. Right. Right. Everything goes back to what are you eating? And people always ask me, even in interviews from parents, like, what are my opinions on vegan diet versus vegetarian diet versus a regular Mm -hmm. diet? And you know, to me, it's not about the diet. I think you can do whatever you feel is appropriate and what makes sense for you and your family. And you can be super healthy on any diet. You can be super unhealthy on any diet. It just depends what you eat. If you have your own farm and you're growing your own things, you're going to be way healthier than someone that's eating a bunch of preservatives or, you know, yeah. a, a vegan who's eating foods that have been, you know, weirdly prepared and preservatives and, and chemicals and mm-hmm. prepackaged and all that. But also at the same point, you can be super healthy vegan or vegetarian and eat foods from your own garden. And you're going to be way healthier than somebody who eats yes. meat and goes to McDonald's and, and does whatever. So it, it really yeah. depends on what you eat. Mm-hmm. And don't forget going back to the sugar that it's, it's not one time, right? If you eat a little bit of sugar, Okay, fine. fine. Probably be fine. But you see what happens to your kid. I mean, if you Mm -hmm. if you have a child that doesn't eat a lot of sugar and then they go to a party or whatever, like they're crazy that day. Like my son does not eat a lot and he every once in a while will get it. And it's like, wow, who is this kid? Yeah. You know, like their brain is on fire. See it if they're eating it all the time. You don't see it if they're eating it all the time, right? Because your body gets used to it Mm. and our bodies are amazing and, and we don't notice 
what's happening to our body because we, you know, our bodies figure out how to balance it out and, and not, you know, create these yeah. major symptoms. You get that problem later. And that's yeah. what's happening is if you're eating the, you know, hundred grams of sugar a day or whatever over 20 years, then that's going to catch up with you because yeah. your body has to deal with the toxin. Yeah. And so when it's dealing with that toxin, that is giving on something else, right? It's not dealing with the infection or yeah. it's not dealing with the cancerous cells or it's right. not, I mean, this is all part of your immune system, right? You're always fighting off improper cells and, and getting rid of them and, and stopping right. you from getting cancer. You're always fighting off infections. We're covered in bacteria and viruses. You walk around in the winter, yeah. everybody's sick with something, but yes. you're not getting sick all the time, yeah. right? When you get sick, you get sick when you get stressed out, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because your body is dealing with the stress Overburden. and then you get sick, right? Yeah. And so- you have to, we have to, as parents, prioritize this. There's no, you know, you get on your soapbox, and that's what I get on my soapbox on, is, is that we can no longer make excuses about yes. the amount of time that it takes to prepare healthy food yes. or the mm. cost. Yes. Yeah. I, I get it. Yes. I, I totally get it. I want to like cheer for you right now and tell you like, please <laughs> scream that from the rooftops. We have to go back to the kitchen and like recreate, mm -hmm. practice that skill. We have to learn mm -hmm. and become friends with cooking again. Keep going. I'm sorry. We absolutely have to. I get it. You're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. You have a lot of work. You got kids. I get it. That's true. And I'm not minimizing that. And yes, it can be a little bit more expensive sometimes to get healthier foods, but it does not matter. That is the priority. That's what you have to prioritize and you must do it, you know, more for, it doesn't mean you have to cook every single meal all the time, but you cannot order out every day. You cannot order prepackaged foods because there's crap in everything. There is no way something is sitting on the shelf for a right. week or two and it's still good unless it has a bunch of crap in there. There's exactly. no way, mm -hmm. right? No way. So you're eating that and your kids are eating that and they're mm -hmm. eating it for 20 years. They will be sick. Just look at the numbers, right? 50% mm -hmm. of kids have a chronic disease. What else yes. do we need? Do we want every kid to be sick? Do we want to be all I'm sick? so glad that you are, that you're really willing to take that strong stance on that. Cause I think one thing I hear all the time is a lot of women who are trying to lose weight. And so they say, well, it's so difficult for me because my kids can have this food in the house mm -hmm. and tempting for me that, you know, they have all those healthy or they have all those treats and those snacks and those processed foods that I shouldn't be eating. And it's like, well, if you shouldn't be eating it, your kids shouldn't be eating right. it. Right? right. It's not just about weight. It's not just about calories. Right. It's not about a diet. You know, there's, again, this goes back to like fad diets and this, it's not a diet. You're not trying right. to not eat anymore. And you're not trying to eat food that you don't like. You're trying to change what you do by not purchasing crap. Mm -hmm. Don't bring it in the home anymore. Too bad if yes. they don't like it. You're the parent. So yes. that's just how it is. And you're going to say, we're going to eat healthy and this is what it's going to be. And they're not, they're going to be mad for like a week or two, whatever, right. have their cookie. And it doesn't mean you never have to buy snacks, but there are healthier versions. Buy it. You don't have to go from like giving your kid Cheetos to like having them eat a celery stick tomorrow. Like there mm -hmm. are better versions of things. So buy the better version and kind of, you know, work your way through it. Right. You don't have to do it all at one time, but just don't buy the crap anymore. They don't yeah. go to the store. Yeah. <laughs> so just don't buy it. They can't eat it. What are There's, some ideas why, why that you that have that like so, your kids like? They're still kids. Are well, there, do you have some go-tos? I just want to say on January 18th, we released an episode with Mariah Sage titled Raising Healthy Eaters with Healthy Boundaries. So if you guys want a deep dive, like how do I retrain my child to eat healthy, but without the power struggle, I highly recommend listening to that podcast. That was January 18th of this year, 2018. 22. But um, are there any tips that you want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it goes back to 
Number one, obviously depends on the age. Every, every yeah. kid is you know, different and depends on their developmental level, but presuming they're a little bit older then number one, having discussions with them, explain to them why mm-hmm. in terms that they understand about being healthy, just explain it to them. You don't have to go you know, super deep into it with them, but talk to them about it. Say, we're going to do things different. I don't want you to be sick. We want to have healthy food. We're going to have really good snacks, but it's going to be a little bit different. Just let them know, give them a heads up. I think they can handle it. They might not be happy about it, but too bad. You know, you're the parent and sometimes you just got to be the parent. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two, take them shopping with you. That's Mm -hmm. a big deal. Your kids are way more likely to eat something if you take them with Mm, you and you can help you pick things out. So if they want to do snacks, you can give them an option between two things. And, you know, we're going to have this or this use the rainbow if they're a little on the younger end and be like, all right, let's pick out one thing that's purple and one thing that's red and one thing that's green and let them kind of go through the aisles or go through the farmer's market and pick something, you know, maybe if you're at a farmer's market, if they're doing samples, they could try different things. And like, again, a lot of times it's not, that their kid won't eat it. It's they won't eat the thing that you buy, but it doesn't mean mm-hmm. they wouldn't eat a different version. Like think about right. plums or something. Like yeah. how many different versions and tastes are there of a plum, right? right? So if you can go and try different ones and maybe they're going to find one that they actually right. like and, and they're way more willing to eat it. And then, you know, finally, if you can garden, I think mm-hmm. we're so dissociated from where food comes from that kids don't really get it. They, a lot of kids never have seen anything grown. They don't know how much work it takes to make a carrot or whatever it is. And, and it's not, it's a thing in the store. It's a thing that, you know, parents bring home. So make a little garden at home, teach them, get them in the soil and the dirt, teach them where food comes from. They're again, way more likely to appreciate it if they have been a part of it and everybody can do it. Again, it's not, there's no excuse for not being able to garden. You don't have to have a lot of space. You can do it on your in your kitchen, you can put some like basil in a pot or mm-hmm. you can have a little balcony and you can, there's like little towers and things that you can have, or even just, you know, get a little box of wood and then put some soil in it. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be expensive. And, and over the long run, you're going to be saving so much money. You can make, you can put some seeds in the ground, right? Seeds cost basically nothing and you can have your lettuce or your spinach or whatever. And, and your kids learn where it comes from. Mm. I want to add to that, that um, with what I discussed with Mariah was um, you have to expose kids to a new food 15 to 20 times before they actually enjoy eating it. And so you don't have to force them to eat like the entire plate of it, but you know, you can have the no thank you bite. Just, you have to just try one bite and then say no thank you, you know, and then you don't have to like it, but you have to try it every time. And then like, just make that a rule. And here's another thing too, is like, this blows my mind is like, we are so willing to like, just let our kids eat anything uh, because we say, Oh, well, they don't like it. They're not going to eat it. How many kids actually enjoy going to school, but we still force them to go to school. Right? Like my kid mm-hmm. fights me every day and I'm like, sorry, I can't just keep you from home, you know, because I will probably go to prison. So I force my kid to go to school because that's just something he has to do. And so we need to like recreate a new culture around food where it's like, Oh, sorry, you don't love it. I know it's not as good as that pizza from wherever, but got to eat it. Sorry. You know, that's it. This is what we have for dinner. I'm not making anything else. You know, having healthy, firm, loving boundaries around food is not punishing your child. It's teaching them Mm -hmm. like a skill that's going to keep them healthy throughout their lives. Right. Because if we are not teaching our kids to eat healthy food when they grow up with like health issues and autoimmune diseases, like that's on us. That's that was us. You know what I mean? And, and 10 to 50 is on the low end from what I've heard. I mean, I've seen studies that great studies done out of boarding schools where, you know, they have the kids kind of there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they can introduce foods to them over the years. And for many of the foods, it's 50 to 100 times wow. some of the studies before it 
But almost every food, if you introduce it to a child enough times, eventually they will get there Mm -hmm. um, and eat it. And that, but to me, it's important as a parent to really remind you, it doesn't mean you should force them to eat it, right? You should offer it, ask them to take a bite, you know, offer different versions, offer it in different ways. You can't necessarily expect your kid to just take a bite of a piece of broccoli. Sometimes you have to cook it in oil or or do whatever. There are many ways that you can cook things. And, you know, one of the good things about information on the internet right now is that, you know, you can go to like watch amazing chef who cooks different things for kids or whatever, Mm -hmm. and and go learn, you know, 10 different ways to cook broccoli or whatever, and just try them. You can't expect your kid to necessarily eat all of these things, but if you cook it in a way that they like, then they might eat it. Right. So you don't, you're not trying to sneak it in. You can sneak things in if you want to, I guess, but that's not really the goal. You want them to learn to eat it. So if you need to sneak it in at the beginning, so be it, but in my opinion, but I I think that realistically we're trying to teach them to eat it. So try different versions of it, try different spices, try different kinds. I mean, most things, when you go to one store, it's like, that's the kind of apple that they have, but there's a hundred kind of apples, right? They're different. They have totally different taste profiles. So you got to try different things with your kids and be realistic, offer it, but you know, be fair. You don't like everything either. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I want to ask a question about something you mentioned a while back about how you know, I noticed also Jeanique, you've mentioned this to me before too, what a significant difference your child is like almost like a different personality type when they have sugar. Do you think that there are some kids who get misdiagnosed with disorders like ADHD and things like that. And if they just cleaned up their diet, maybe they wouldn't have things like that. For sure. I mean, I think a lot of it is again, like something like ADHD, it's a label. There's no test where specifically where you're like, Oh, you have these lab numbers. Mm-hmm. Therefore you have, ah, ADHD, got it. right. It, you know, you, there's an assessment that's done right. and it's not like it's just willy nilly, but sure. at the same time, can I, can I share you, something you really go fast? to a doctor? Like when yeah, I was screened for ADD, they asked me like 10 questions. They're like, yep, you have ADD. I'm like, great. <laughs> you know, like it's really basic. It's not, mm-hmm. or am I incorrect when it comes to the pediatric world? Well, that's what, that's what I was going to say. It depends who you go to and what mm-hmm. they do, right? It can be as basic as questionnaires, or you can also go to a specialist who will watch you for several days and do all sorts of tests. So there's mm-hmm. a wide range of what comes to a diagnosis, but you can also just go to some doctors and you're like, oh, my kid's really impulsive and, and can't pay attention. Mm-hmm. And then they give you a form and then they give the teacher a form. And then everybody says that kid's a little bit impulsive. And then they're like, okay, cool. You have ADHD, here's some medication. Yeah. And that to me is absolutely insane. Yeah. And it's just unfair to kids. And it's it really just wrong. Medicine should be the last resort. It's fine to do it if you need it. Because there are definitely some kids that have very severe issues and can't function without medication and the medications help them significantly. It's not about bashing medicine. Mm-hmm. It's about that has to be the last resort. It shouldn't be so easy to get a diagnosis. Yeah. It should be something that's monitored over years and yeah. you try every possible thing first before you put a kid on a medicine every day for the rest of their life or for years. Yeah. Because there are many things that can look like ADHD. There are many things that, you know, like sleep apnea could be a possibility. They could be exposed to lead or a toxin. They could have diet issues. You know, there's so many things that it could be. And also, even if they do have quote unquote ADHD, but it's maybe a more milder ish version than potentially cleaning up their lifestyle and getting them outside and getting exercise and improving their vitamin D levels and getting rid of some of the foods that cause them a sensitivity and, Mm -hmm. and giving them more fruits and vegetables and all of these things 
can get them to a place where they're functioning at 10, 20% improvement based on what you're seeing. And then that's good enough. And they don't ever need the medication and then they can function. Well, it just depends, right? Everything's different, but the the quick use of medication is the problem. The, The quick diagnosis, that's the issue. Not that kids should never be diagnosed with it or should never have medicine, but it has to become something that's much harder to get to. And you have to try everything else first, but how can that happen in the medical system? It's it's not realistic right now, unless you go outside of the regular system, because you don't have enough time with the doctor to spend the time to figure out the other stuff. Right. I really appreciate the stance that you do take because it's so easy to take, be a part of the tribe on either side that food doesn't work and, you know, to be on the Western medicine side or to be on the other side that where people have had bad experiences and they're so against it and they're like a hundred percent, no medication, but to bring them two together and say that there's a place for everything and we need to do better is like, there's such just good sound advice in that. I really appreciate your stance on it. It's BS that it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work always. And yeah. if, you, if you read the most crazy person online who's very integrative, then as a doctor and you're like, oh, this person says carrots cure everything. Right. Yeah, right? That's what it juice, yeah. And right. then, you know, your autism is gone, right? And it's like, yes. okay, well then Same. all, I guess, integrative medicine doesn't work or, you know, magnesium and that's going to just cure all your right. problems, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, but that's not true. It's, it's nuanced and there's so much in there, but it doesn't mean that it can't help. And even if for someone who does have the diagnosis, who really needs the medication, it doesn't mean that the natural stuff can't help. Maybe we can decrease your dose a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. whatever we can do in there, like everything is going to be better for them in the long run. And even if you can decrease their medication, how is eating healthier a bad thing? Mm-hmm. In the exactly. Long run? How is that it's- not a good thing regardless. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love what Dr. Drew Ramsey said. We interviewed him last week and he said, if you are not using nutrition in your practices, you're not up to date with the research. Like the research is out there. Like nutrition plays a huge part in, in mental health and in brain function. And if we're not integrating this, like, like he was basically saying, you're not a doctor of science, you know? So I really appreciate your stance. Right. How ridiculous is that statement? right? Like, why do you need research to know that nutrition is important, right? Like, why is that a thing that somebody needs to say? Like, if you're not following the nutrition, then, you know, that's what, if you're not eating healthy, of course, why do we need research to show that we should eat healthy? Right, right. (laughs) It's funny that we have to say that, but again, we're going up against like years of marketing and like sugar companies that have been telling us the complete opposite, right? And people literally just have no clue. They have no clue. Like a calorie is a calorie is a calorie. For instance, like a lot of dietitians, you know, when you go to the hospital and post-surgery recovery is like jello and yogurt and granola and a little bit of chicken. And it's because they're just counting macros, right? Like, let's look at infant formula, for instance. Like we're still Mm -hmm. so archaic, but I love that you're like, it's ridiculous. Of course, nutrition is important. So let's look at infant formula. The first ingredient, high fructose corn syrup. Right now Mm -hmm. in our world, we're like, yeah, high fructose corn syrup is literally poisonous for the liver. It causes fatty liver disease. And yet we're giving this to our infants. Right. So I love that you do take this really strong stance. It's like, it's ridiculous that we're not looking at nutrition and we're not integrating it more and we're not prioritizing it. And we have to have this shift in our culture and our relationship around food. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the formula in our country is crap. You know, in general, there's some new ones coming out that are yeah. a little better. Yeah. And again, it's not that you should never use formula. If you need it, you need it. I, and also, I, I get that it's really hard to make a formula because it's for babies and you have to be super safe. You know, there are important checks and balances there. But at the same time, 
it's just a lot of it's about marketing and big companies and just kind of have the market yeah. monopoly on it. I mean, yeah. it, this is formula. Like, why do we not have 50 different options for right. formula at this point? You know, it's like, right. this is what your babies are eating every day. And you right. look at the ingredients and you're like, what? <laughs> just, just look at a formula, even if you don't have right. you know, a baby anymore, just go look at one. So what would you suggest what going for, on? you know, for parents who do need formula? You got to do what you got to do. And there are, there absolutely are newer, better brands that are starting to come out. And even the ones that are the common ones have somewhat improved their ingredients over time and are becoming a little bit more conscious of it. Yeah. You know, for a while, a lot of people were doing European formulas. Yeah. It's becoming a little bit hard to get, but that's always an option. And there's some new ones out there like Bobby and you know, even good Gerber, good start is they got like an organic one and it's, you know, whatever. And there are, there are other options too, but yeah. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. You probably shouldn't be making your own. That's, that can be pretty dangerous for a little baby. Yeah. I mean, there's some recipes out there, but you can run yeah. into a lot of trouble with that. So and you got to be careful too. And that's why it's, you know, at the same time as I said, it's not that easy to make a formula, which right. for a good thing, right? Because if you give a little bit off of the ingredients for your baby, mm-hmm. you can throw them way off really totally. quickly. And, and I have absolutely seen kids in the hospital when I used uh, to work there where parents made their own formula and made yeah. a mistake or, or tried to kind of create their own from using different formulas. And then their kid was like super zinc deficient or, mm. you know, whatever. So you, you can run into problems. So it's not like a, you know, don't use formula ever and go create your own. Cause yep. that can be super on. You gotta be careful there. Yeah. Okay. So, so we've covered microbiome. Nutrition is ginormous. Detoxification. How are like, because you mentioned like chemicals, like we are swimming in a world of chemicals. You just walk outside and you're breathing in toxins. What do you suggest parents do for their kids? I mean, when my clients come to me, I put them on detox protocols like cell core and standard process stuff and liver. Like, but when it comes to kids, I know that when we eat a plant based, like, or when we eat meats and veggies and, you know, healthy fats, like our bodies will naturally detoxify themselves because we're getting all the necessary ingredients to help with phase one and phase two and phase three of liver detoxification. But is there anything else that you recommend parents start researching or looking into, or as a doctor that works with, you know, sick children or children with these imbalances, like what would you recommend? So whenever we're doing detoxification for kids, the, always the place to start is with the natural detoxification that we do. So you first think about the three ways that you get things out of your body, right? Yeah. Poop, pee, and sweating. Mm-hmm. So what can you do to increase those, mm-hmm. right? So you want to increase drinking fluids, right? Yes. These are not rocket science things, but yeah. these are things that you can absolutely do for your kids that can make a huge difference without doing all of the supplements. Because just like you said, for kids, it can be a little bit more complicated. And we'll get into a little bit of some of the things that you, you can think about doing. But for the most part, you don't have to do that if you just increase what they're drinking so they pee more, yeah. make sure that they're going to the bathroom and pooping more. So you have healthier foods, more fruits and vegetables. If they're not going, consider like some magnesium or something like that to make sure that we're going every day or a couple of times a day. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I've noticed for sure in kids is that we're not going to the bathroom, you know, pooping as much as we should be. You look at right. like indigenous cultures and, and they mm-hmm. go to the bathroom maybe five, 10 times a day. They're having a bowel movement. Whereas, you know, we might only go once a day or kids might only go once a day or, you know, every two, three, four days. And if something is sitting in your body for longer, this is, you're getting this stuff out of your body. If it's mm-hmm. turning into a bowel movement, right. And if right. it's sitting in your colon for two, three days, then more is getting absorbed and it's right. affecting your colon walls and it's not coming out versus going to the bathroom at least every day, then things are moving through and they don't get a chance to sit there for as long. 
So, you know, very simply just get things moving through a little faster. So that way you're not absorbing as many toxins and that way you can get out more. And then sweating, that's a huge one for kids Mm -hmm. these days. I mean, for adults, you could go, you know, do saunas and those kind of things. I mean, theoretically you can do it for kids, but it's not the most ideal thing. So realistically, what do you do? Get them outside, right? What are we not doing during the pandemic? What do we, we're not outside. We're not exercising. We're in front of the TV. We're in front of the screen and we're not getting the sunlight that we need the vitamin D and we're not sweating. The kids are in soccer. They're not playing they're not doing what they need to be doing. So you as a parent, if that's the case, you know, then you have to get them outside yourself, yeah. right? If you're not sweating, then you're not getting those chemicals out of your body yeah. is a good place to start. So that's something you can start right now, everybody without a dollar, right? You can do that. You can improve those and it's really simple. And then you can start going down the other paths, but it also depends on what is the situation. Cause you need somebody to be monitoring that if you're going to start doing supplements and things right, like that. Right. I want to add to the the pooping thing. You know, we need to eat fiber in order to poop. So our ancestors ate 55 plus grams of fiber a day and the average American eats 13. And so th- mm-hmm. like, that's a big reason, like, and where do we get our fiber from? Fruits and vegetables, right? You know, grains, legumes, and that's, those are things that we are completely missing. And we're supposed to be eating like eight servings of vegetables a day. And the, like, when I do um, online, like polls and stuff the majority of people are getting between one and two servings of vegetables so that's a huge one like yeah we don't have to go on these really expensive detox protocols we can literally just up our fiber intake and so i really appreciate you saying like hey let's go back to basics basically everything you've been saying ocd attention disorders like can i even lump in anxiety and depression into this all of these brain imbalances if we just went back to basics went back to nature you're saying become our own research projects and see you know like throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks and works with our biology you're basically saying this can help tremendously it's enough like the basics is enough it is enough to start for Mm -hmm. almost everybody. And that's what we have to do, right? We don't have to go from zero to a hundred right now. And, you know, we're talking on online and we don't know who's listening and what their specific issue is. So there Mm -hmm. are always going to be specific. And that's what working with a practitioner to kind of help guide you on your journey to get to where you need to be. Mm -hmm. That's going to be those extra, you know, 50 steps, but basically everybody needs to be doing these things. These are not rocket science things. These are decreasing your stress, getting outside, eating healthy, all of those things, decreasing your stress and getting rid of the toxins. It's like, there's no point to do a whole supplement protocol and go through expensive lab tests if you eat shitty food. Right. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> if you don't yep. deal with the base, if you don't deal with the foundation, yep. then you know you can do whatever you want. You can take any fad diet that you want. You can, mm-hmm. And it might make you feel better for like a couple of weeks, but it's not going to change your biology. It's not going to change your children. And it's not going to have the effect that you want over the long run. It might make you feel better for a couple of weeks, or you might lose a little bit of weight, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make any difference if you're 20 pounds lighter, if you're in the hospital with a disease, you know, we have to focus on the foundations first. And we're so focused on quick fixes. And that's Mm -hmm. not how things work. We have to change how we live. And it's very doable. It's not hard. It's just, you have to prioritize these things and you don't have to like never eat cake again and never, you know, have fun again and never go out for dinner again and and never, you know, buy a perfume or whatever. It's just, you have to minimize it and be conscious with everything that you do. And if you're conscious of it all, then you're going to improve what your surroundings are by 50%. And then that's probably going to be enough to keep your family healthy. Yeah. 
I love that. As we are wrapping up, is there any last words of advice that you want to tell listeners about this subject? Yeah, I would say today, if you're going to do one thing, it's read food labels. Everything that you buy from now on, never again should you buy a product and not turn it over and look what's on the back. If there are really long chemically words like methyl, tetra, hydro, bromo, whatever, you know, that's probably not good for you. Right. If you don't know what the word is, don't put it in your body. Just buy another version of the thing. Like if you want, you know, a trail mixy type thing, just buy something with like almonds and raisins in it. Like that's the words on the bag. It doesn't need to have all the other crap. Just literally, if you do that, if you buy things that have real words on them, you're going to improve so much in terms of your health, as opposed to buying all these chemicals, because you're putting it in you and your kids and you're doing it over years. Mm -hmm. And if you are full of chemicals, and you don't have the building blocks to be healthy, how do you expect your body to be healthy? I love that. I always say that you have three opportunities every day to either build your body up or break it down. And that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So is your food building your body or is it tearing it down? You know, and oh, Gina, Dr. Uma Naidu, yeah. she said the power of healing mm-hmm. is at the end of your fork. So what's on your fork? Like, is it going to build your body or break it down? And the same goes with our kids. Listeners, I hope that you enjoyed this recording. Uh, how can people find more from you, Dr. Gator? You have that podcast, Raising Amazing Podcast. Do you have courses that you do? How do people people get more of you? Yeah. So you can find the easiest places to find me on Instagram at Dr. Joel Gator. You can go to integratedpediatrics.com. We have a wellness kit course that kind of goes through natural health about all these kind of topics. And I'm working on a a pandemic course as well. So that'll be out soon. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you. And if people want to work with you, can they just go to integratedpediatrics.com? They can. My office website is integratedpediatricsandmedicine.com. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, if you want to reach out to me, but either way, it'll get to me if you message. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Gator. This has been so enlightening. Mm-hmm. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. We know your time and your bandwidth is so important and so limited. So we really appreciate your time and we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. Yeah.